welcome everybody to the inaugural episode of our Apprenticeship Toolbox podcast. In this podcast, we're going to be breaking down our Sunday morning messages and services and asking the questions of how do we be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus does. So this morning I have Graham here to talk through um, our opening message in our Philippians series. So welcome, Graham. Hey, it's good to be here, Matt. So Graham, what were some of the highlights um, coming out of your weekend? We had a, a rainy weekend here. Yeah, I mean, the weekend was rainy, and um, I got to spend a little downtime um, with Wendy. But really what's been heavy on my heart has been the stuff that's been going on down in the States and just really grappling uh, with that, realizing that it's not just happening in the States, it's happening everywhere. It's just sort of exploding right now down in the U.S. Yeah, it sure is. It's so hard to to not just have your mind completely taken up with it. It's kind of like when COVID started. I felt like I was just refreshing my phone repeatedly trying to get more information. And and now uh, with this, it's it's just coming at you from every angle and every conversation. And yeah, and the, re- the reality for me is what do you, what does a long-term sustained effort look like? Not just posting something on Facebook or showing up to a rally. And that's not that that's all bad, but it doesn't really produce lasting change and um, there needs to be lasting change in this one. This is something that's pretty close to my own heart and to my own story. And so, um, you know, I, uh, I, I not only weep over it, I just go, what, what, what is it going to take for us to really see the tide turn here um, in the hearts of people? And it really is a heart issue. Yeah, it really is. Why don't you tell me a bit more about your story? Not everybody knows the personal piece of it. Yeah, well, I was born in South Africa under the system of apartheid, and I would have been considered a um, a person of color. Um, the term that they used in South Africa would have been colored, which means mixed race. And um, so that meant a tremendous amount of limitation in terms of race, where you could go, the kinds of jobs you could hold, the kinds of schools you could go to, uh, where you could eat what bathrooms you could use. Um, there were signs uh, you know, posted around the country that would say whites only. Um, so that meant that you couldn't go there. And um, tremendous amount of limitation in terms of what you could do. And then, and just the, the attitudes of people toward people of color. I mean, South Africa, the government chose to protect their, their privilege by instituting a system that would oppress the majority of people in the country. So you had I don't know, maybe it's five or six million people. Mm-hmm. And the government chose to oppress 20 plus million people. Wow. Um, so they could protect their privilege. Mm-hmm. You're telling me the other day a lot of the system for apartheid actually came from Canadian stories. Well, that's my understanding that um, they, they, studied, um, they studied how Canada dealt with its indigenous people and uh, looked at the system that they employed, we employed here in Canada and uh, took some of that back and uh, put people on, rather than putting them on reserves, they put them in tribal homelands in order to contain them and uh, keep them away from the rest of society. Obviously, they were um, influenced heavily um, through, the, through Nazism in Germany, Germany as well. And so it wasn't just Canada, but that certainly, they certainly did study it from what I understood. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a couple of things at play there, one of the, which is, it's really easy for us to, to point a finger down at the states and, and talk about their problem that they have. Mm. But it's, racism isn't just a, a United States issue. This is a, a Canadian issue and a heart issue that goes so deep. And, and how destructive the way that we treated our indigenous neighbors um, throughout history and how that's still at play today is, 
It's something we have to pay attention to. And the scary part is the church supported it. Oh man, they yeah, sure so did. They they were part of in South Africa. They were part of that the whole system of apartheid uh, in supporting the government and what they were doing. And now that well, doesn't mean that there weren't Christians who didn't speak out against it. But sure, just like there were Christians that spoke out in Nazi Germany, but there are also Christian. The church uh, supported what happened in Canada a lot too. I mean, whether that was with residential schools or whether that was the the Catholic Church blessing the stealing of indigenous land and giving it to to Christians as this divine gift, you know, and and just how easily we can get co-opted as Christians towards this. So Graham, how does this tie into Philippians though, this whole conversation? Yeah, that's a good question. And I was wrestling with that last week and, you know, Paul writes, he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so the question is, what is the good work? Mm -hmm. Um, Is the good work just salvation until we get to heaven? Just our own um, personal well-being or is the good work that God begun in us um, something much broader, something that would impact not just our own personal lives, but would actually impact the world in which we live. And, um, and I think that um, it does definitely tie into the broader gospel story. Um, that uh, as, so as we look at uh, the, the final part of Paul, Paul's prayer, where he says that we'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That word righteousness is a significant word. You know, I grew up with this idea that righteousness was just about me being holy, me being perfect, that that was the understanding of righteousness. But uh, the more and more I've dug into it, both from an Old Testament understanding and also a New Testament perspective on justice too, the words righteousness and justice are really interchangeable. That, That righteousness isn't about me just being a super extra holy person, but instead righteousness is about right relationship between me and God, yes, but also me and my neighbor. Mm-hmm. That righteousness is about the way that I treat others, that the do unto others you'd have them do unto you, that to walk in love and justice and mercy and to love goodness, you know? Right, and this, this is the gospel because in Isaiah chapter 58, the text that we read on Sunday, um, or one of the texts we read on Sunday, um, you know, the prophet is speaking to people who are going to church. They're uh, going to worship. They're sacrificing. They're doing all of the right religious things. And, uh, and yet, there was a tremendous amount of injustice. And so the prophet speaks to them and says, is this not the kind of fasting that I've chosen to loose the, ca- the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry? And uh, he goes on uh, talking about uh, a number of different things. And then he says, then your light will break like forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear and then your righteousness will go before you. So this is what righteousness is, right? It is, it is doing what the prophet describes. And so often we think of righteousness just in terms of our own personal piety. Mm-hmm. And that righteousness, like uh, one of the marks of the, the people of Israel and the way they treat others was <clears throat> that they care for those in need. You had the... Um, the trifecta of the widow, the orphan, and the stranger among you. Those who are most at risk, that that was the primary people that Israel was called to take care of. So it wasn't the survival of the fittest idea where, where you're looking out number, for number one and, and the sick and the herd get taken out, but instead it's you will be marked by t- taking care of the least among you. And so that's something that carries right through from the beginning of Genesis all the way uh, through the Old Testament, and it's something we see continuously being brought up, especially in a place like James, where he talks about this is true religion caring for, for widows and orphans in their distress. 
one of the things that I think it, it's, as I look at this time, I wonder what God is doing. Um, because the church has not been able to meet. And we've placed a lot of our energy and our resources on the Sunday meeting, mm-hmm. um, which is good. We need to encourage one another. We need to teach. We need to worship together. That's yeah. all an important part of what we do. Um, and, and, and yet, um, you know, that's, that's sort of been taken away from us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been taken away from everybody, not just the church, but the For ability sure, yeah. to meet has been taken away from us. And so we're no longer um, able to just focus on that. And yet there's another issue, the racial issue that's being brought to the forefront. That is an issue of righteousness. Mm-hmm. And it's an issue that has been neglected by the church. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if God is not saying to us as a church that this is what we should be focusing on in this time. That when our energies and our efforts at this point are not able to be focused on the meeting, if the church should not be focusing its energies and efforts on the place where it probably should have been focusing its energy and efforts all along on this issue of righteousness. And so one of the things that I have been wondering is what does it look like for us in this time when we're not able to meet? Now, we will get to meet at some point. We know that. But during this time, what does it look like to, to marshal our our energies, our efforts, our resources, our prayers toward righteousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, right? Like, um, there's an element of, of where we're seeking righteousness, but I think the other thing is, is with it too is we got to learn how to lament. Mm-hmm. We've got to be sad about this and cry out for change. Because without actually doing something like you brought up earlier, it's really easy to just click on it and like it and post something and then be done. But we've got to have long-standing heart change. And part of this long-standing heart change with, with righteousness is realizing where we're at right now. Right. And starting with the pit of pain on this. And, you know, that's something you see in David over and over again is, is him being stuck in his pain, but, but working it through in prayer and then ultimately turning it over to God and saying, I know that you're the only one who can really heal this. You're the one that can really make the difference. So I don't know. I think lament would be really important For these sure. days too. It's a good place to start. I think there... It starts with heart change, and I think there's a behavioral change that needs to occur as a result of heart change, and then there's a systemic change that needs to occur within society itself. Yeah, it's um, like what we talked about with the Ascension series, that our, our struggles against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and, and that whole world piece, like the animating energy behind this isn't just people, but there's a, this a systemic evil that's been around since the beginning of time that's trying to pit people against one another. Right. But I think if you focus just on one, which is what we typically tend to do. So our, our world, um, for the most part now, is focusing on systemic change. We need to change the system. Um, but I, I think if we just go after that, we're going to miss the heart change and the behavioral change, and that, that then can begin to change the system. And I think that's why the gospel is so powerful, because it starts with, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And so it's a work that God begins in us that results in a behavioral change so that we can begin to change the systems of the world around us. Yeah, it's like, like you, I've heard often that it's, it's what you do in the small things that causes mm-hmm. this faithfulness in the big things. You know, N.T. Wright in his book, um, After You Believe, talks about over and over again about doing the small things as training for the big moments, mm-hmm. kind of like that. Um, he used the example of that New York air, airplane pilot who had to land the plane on the Hudson River. And he was used to, to doing the small maneuver over and over again so that when this crisis moment happened, he was able to land that plane just fine on the river because mm-hmm. he'd practiced it over and over and over again. He'd, yeah. done, he'd been faithful in the small things so he could be faithful in the big moment. Yeah. 
And, and here's the thing with the gospel too. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It's an ongoing work. And so um, it's not like an inoculation. We're talking a lot about, you know, vaccines these days and being inoculated against, but that, that's what we really hope for with the gospel, that it would be a one-time inoculation. I prayed, I received Jesus into my life, and now that's all done for. This is more like an ongoing um, dialysis treatment, so to speak, where day to day we go back to him and, and the, the work in us is, is continuing by, by his power as we surrender and submit to him. And so I think it's, you know, it requires a daily commitment of surrender and submission to Jesus and the work in, his, in our lives. Mm -hmm. One of the things I find really timely about Philippians, uh, even as we have this conversation about the racial divide that's happening in the States and this issue of racism is, in the early church, that was no different. There was this huge divide between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. There had been thousands of years of, of separation, and now all of a sudden they're forced together. And one of the beautiful things Paul does is he starts his letters and often ends his letters with this phrase, grace and peace. And it's really easy to overlook the, the grace and peace is just some sort of greeting, but it's this deeply uh, unifying phrase. Because grace, uh, charis, was this greeting and, and of the, the Greek people and is a familiar term for them. And, and peace, shalom, was the greeting of the Jewish people. And so even in this phrase, grace and peace, it's this unifying factor saying, hey, I'm for both of you. We're to be one people together. So we'll be welcoming to the Jew, we'll be welcoming to the Greek, and together we'll be a whole new kind of person. And one of the reasons I chose Philippians 2 is because um, this is Paul, one of Paul's most relational letters. And so when you read through it, you read a lot about his relationship with the Philippians. But he introduces himself as a bond slave of Christ, which mm -hmm. is somebody who willingly submits themselves to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And um, in his other epistles, he's often referring to his apostleship. And so he takes a very different posture with the Philippians, um, a very relational posture and the posture of, of a slave, of a servant. Um, and so I, I find that the book of Philippians is highly relational and highly encouraging. And I think we need that during this time. Mm -hmm. And particularly, I think Paul is modeling for them what he's going to call them to do later, where he says to them, I want you to take on the posture of Christ, who was a servant and became a servant for your, you know, for your sake and emptied himself. And, um, and so I, I think that, um, you know, as we think about these um, issues of race in the world that we're living in these days, um, th this uh, letter, uh, I think, speaks to, uh, speaks to that. And Paul is modeling for us what he wants us to model or wants us mm -hmm. to act out in our community and I think also in our world. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really finds its linchpin in Philippians too, with the example of Jesus. That Jesus yep. is the one who emptied himself out. That right away he's giving up his rights and demonstrating that we should do the same. Because right. As apprentices of Jesus, we're to, to be like Jesus. Right. And so, it starts with Christ, and then Christ is the one who does that work in us. It's it's really really profound when you stop and think about it. Right. So. Yeah, and the and the term bond slave as well. Maybe I said this before, but just the, the term bond slave is someone who willingly submits yes, to yeah, another person as a slave, right? Which, who does that? Nobody. That'd right. be crazy. Right. Right. And yet Jesus does that. And then that's how we can do that, mm. is that example. Yeah. So an essential piece of this podcast, Graham, is that the sermon goes beyond Sunday. And that what we, we learn about on Sundays and what we hear on Sundays isn't just this you know, good reminder, but instead it's something to live out, that this Christ life is an everyday, all-day thing. And so we, that's why we've called the Apprenticeship Toolbox. We want to give people tools for their toolbox so they can continue to grow in their, their work of being with Jesus 
uh, being like Jesus and doing what Jesus does. And so um, one thing we want to do is provide some ways to walk in spiritual disciplines. And so today, um, why don't we talk about the idea of praying the scriptures? So yeah. I don't know, have you had much familiar with praying the scriptures? For me, it's been transformational, but how about you? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I try to do, and I came onto this probably 25 years ago, and not necessarily doing it all the time, but uh, reading through five psalms a day and just doing it prayerfully, praying through that, and then taking the prayers of Paul in, uh, in his epistles and praying through that. So I find it very helpful to, to frame prayer and, and also to um, not just frame prayer in the moment, but something that you can really build on in terms of your own personal prayer life because those things become building blocks that you can, u- you can use in prayer to develop your, your prayer life. And so, yeah. That's good. Yeah, like I had a few, well, this would have been about eight or nine years ago, where I felt like my prayer life was just kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, like the old ways of praying didn't seem to be working anymore. Not that God wasn't meeting with me or moving with me, but I just felt like my prayer life wasn't active in the same way. I was just kind of going to dry wells. And then uh, I was talking with a friend, and he recommended just praying the, the prayers of Paul, just using them as a grid to pray in. For example, with this Philippians 1, verses 9 to 11, uh, we read, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So you may be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. And so that what I started doing is I started, um, if it was praying for myself, I would put my there. Or if I was praying, let's say I was praying for you, and you were saying I need wisdom on something, I'd pray this. And so mm-hmm. it'd be something like, Jesus, I pray that my love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that I'd be able to discern what's best and maybe pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And uh, just praying that way, it gave me language to pray, mm. and it also gave me confidence to pray, because if, if God allowed those to be put in Scripture, that means that they're in line with the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And so when I'd pray, I knew that I was praying in line with the heart of God, and that I was also praying things that, that God would want for me. Of course he wants me to grow in wisdom and depth of insight. Of course he wants me to, to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, to be pure and blameless. And so for me, praying these things has been just so helpful. Yeah, for sure. And I think so prayer would certainly be one of the ways that you could be with Jesus in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so if we think around those three things, being with Jesus, being like Jesus, and doing the work that Jesus would do. Yeah. Right? So what does it look like in terms of being... Like Jesus, I think it, it looks like developing the, the inner fruit of righteousness in your life, being in right relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And then doing the work that Jesus would do is actually doing the right thing. And what, is it, what does the right thing look like in this moment? Um, what does the right thing look like when you encounter a person that's different than you? What does the right thing look like in a moment where uh, you, you see someone walking on the street and uh, you feel a sense of fear because they're of a different race or you automatically pass judgment on them mm-hmm. in a restaurant. It, perhaps the right thing to do in that moment is just to repent uh, in your own heart um, of what, uh, what you're feeling or sensing. Um, and then uh, perhaps it might, might mean uh, forming a friendship with someone mm-hmm. who's different than you are. Um, most people are passionate about these issues of righteousness, but they don't know anyone of color. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have close friends who are, who are different. And so form relationships, get to know people, ask questions, listen, and uh, do it without, uh, without judgment and without, without defense. I think one of the greatest gifts that I've received from a good friend of mine um, in terms of um, this is somebody, somebody else who's from South Africa. 
and um, we were out for a walk and he turned to me and he said, um, can you just tell me again what it was like for you? And I shared my story with him, a little bit of my heart. And uh, he just turned to me and, and said, you know, I'm so sorry. I, I had no idea. He grew up um, classified in a different way. We're brothers in Christ and great friends. Um, but that moment was really significant for me. In fact, it was healing, even after having been gone from South Africa for, you know, 30 plus years now. Um, just him reaching out in friendship to me and asking me to share my story without defense or judgment mm -hmm. was a significant moment of healing. And so to be able to do that without defense. Um, and I, I see a lot of Christians, you know, when we say things like uh, all lives matter, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think that's hugely offensive. The, the reality is, is yes, in principle, we know that all lives matter, but if all lives matter, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Yeah, I heard somebody describe it uh, like, of course, all lives matter. But right now, there's a part of us that's sick. And that's the wrong language. But So, I, yeah, I heard somebody describe it this way, that, that right now, all lives, of course, matter. But when you've got an injury in your body to a part, you're going to put disproportionate energy to that. You're going to go to a doctor. You're going to get that part looked at. And you're going to promote health in that specific area. And so, well, of course, all lives matter. Right now, we realize where there's a sickness in our culture, and we need to divert energy towards that. And so, yes, all lives matter, but right now, we need to focus on the lives that have been told for so long they don't matter, whether that's black lives or also indigenous lives. I mean, we've got we've to be emptying ourselves out, being humble, being willing to say, it's okay that not everybody's focused on me for once. Well, Graham, thanks uh, for walking us through um, both your story and... Uh, I think for those of us who are listening, a really key important piece in this day would be to, to start meeting other people. And uh, if you're, you're fearful due to COVID stuff or there's just not that opportunity to get to know someone, uh, our library has lots of books. There's lots of YouTube uh, videos or Netflix documentaries that you can watch that, that can let you into other people's stories and just start there. But, but let's start with being learners right now. Let's start with, with being open to other voices. And then let's be praying that Jesus would transform us to be more like him. Thanks for joining us this week on the Apprenticeship Toolbox podcast. We're asking how do we be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus does. Have a great week, everybody. Grace and peace. See you later.